0: My title, This Morning, is A Power That Brings Purpose. Recently in our home, um, we determined that it was time to wash the windows inside and out. And I don't know if there's a, a lower uh, level of excitement that you can conjure up than to think of that project. But my dear wife, she's very, um, what's the right word, independent, um, Strong, no, not strong-willed, independent. I'm sorry, she keeps telling me to fix that. So she's like, Paul, I know you're busy. I've got this. And, And the truth is she really did. But there were three or four windows that required an extension ladder on the outside of the house. And not only did it require an extension ladder, it was on a slant. So, okay, Extension ladders are long and and heavy and and awkward, and they've got to be operated properly or they de-escalate very fast, right? So I said, honey, I love you. You're very capable, very, very capable, but that part of the job is something I'm going to have to do. To which she responded with this, all those firefighter girls do it. Husbands, it's in these moments that it's very critical what you say next, okay? Now, what she was doing was she was assuming that because those firefighter girls lug extension ladders around and put out fires, certainly she could get it off the garage wall, haul it around the side of the house, and do this without breaking your neck. Me being a loving husband, knowing she's very independent and very capable, she cannot do that but how do I say that carefully? So, if you want to know how I responded, you'll have to talk to her. I'm not going to discuss that publicly, but I tried to be gracious to say, honey, that's not going to work. Here's what I know. No one determines their purpose or their goals without first taking personal inventory of their capabilities, their gifts, their strengths, their personalities. No one. Here at Quentin Road... I would actually use the word that we plead with all of you believers to pursue a new life, new goals, new purpose. The Apostle Paul made a statement about his goal, his purpose in life that has been a major rallying call for Christians since the day he penned it. It's found in Philippians 3.14. And he makes this statement. He said, I press toward the mark... For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And when you read those words, you go, wow. Even if I don't even know what all those words mean, I know that that is a lofty goal. When someone says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, of course he's swinging for the fences. That's the Apostle Paul. Look at all of his accomplishments, And if you ask most of us, it's like, well, what's your real purpose? Well, just to make it till Friday. How about that? Right? So Christians were left asking, why was Paul so sure of his calling and what was the mark and what was the prize? I want to give you a clue because we're going to develop this today so you really know where he's coming from, but I want to give you one clue right out of the bat, right out of the gate. He wrote these words from prison. He wrote these words from prison. So if you were to say, well, such a successful pastor, such a successful ministry, how's it going, Paul? What are your goals in life? Well, uh, let me write you a, a letter, you, you Philippian Christians, and I'll do it from prison. Here's what I need you to know first as we build this. Number one, what is the mark? First of all, I want you to notice he did not say, say that he went towards a mark. He went towards the mark. The mark. As Christians, there is the Mark, and it is not the Pastor Mark. It is the Mark. By the way, wasn't that teapot thing amazing? I mean, what a blessing of God to have that in the archives forevermore. Sorry, Pastor Mark. I'm not really. It was amazing. Okay, so he said that there is a goal, there's a purpose. That's what he's talking about. What's the goal? What's the purpose? And he said, I go towards the goal, the purpose. The calling that he talks about is the invitation of God. The invitation of God means if there is a mark, there is a goal, there is a purpose that God's calling all of us to, then it is up to us whether or not we accept his invitation, which is his plan or path or will to get us to that mark. And then, of course, the prize he's talking about is the reward of getting there. And I truly believe this. I truly believe Paul never truly understood his purpose in life until he discovered the inventory of what he had in Christ. I just don't think he got it. And obviously, Philippians is a letter. So the best thing you can do this week is to go and read the entire letter. And it'll make more sense. But at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, finally, my brethren. So he listed a whole bunch of amazing things. And I mean amazing things. So go read those things for all believers to know. But then he comes to this and he says, finally, brethren. And it's as if he's saying, I have found the way that God wants to use each and every one of us. I have found the mark. I have found what the capabilities of every Christian that has ever been saved or ever will be saved is capable of. And he lists an inventory in the verses leading up to where we're going to pick it up, which is in verse 7. But he lists an inventory of his own personal life. It's quite extensive. He's of a tribe of Benjamin. He said he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had the best education, a Pharisee that followed the law. But then he says, look at verse 7. He says this. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge or the knowing of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that... I may win Christ. Those are going to be the key words of our time together this morning. That idea of suffering the loss of all things is to forfeit the possession of something through hardship. And listen, Paul did not beat around the bush. He did not sugarcoat it. He made it very, very clear. There's a long list of really important things, things that were a gain to him, things that were important to him, things that he had confidence in. And he said, in order to win Christ, there is a hardship I had to accept. And that was I had to forfeit the possession of confidence in all those things. Because if I maintain my confidence in all those things, I will not win Christ. You see where he's going. And it is not that he was uh, disregarding his lineage. He was proud. He valued his Jewish uh, lineage. And he did not lower his standards. After being a Pharisee, he didn't lower his standards. He changed it all to a being like Christ rather than a religious system. Paul realized that the crowning moment of being Jewish was in knowing the Jewish Messiah. And it was a personal walk with the Lord. Now, I want you to look back at verse eight. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge or knowing of Christ. This word is critical. And I know, I know that, that sometimes when we're reading in our, our King James Bible, there are words that are a little bit harder to understand. And um, lately, I don't know, just over the last several months, just for the fun of it, I've been looking at a couple of other versions just to see, like, do they explain it better? Or if someone read it for the first time in another version, would it just, like, make sense right away? Can I tell you, most of the time, most of the time, key doctrinal positions in Scripture in the other more modern versions that you would see... They are not easily understood in those versions. They don't help at all. And what's at risk is, is a lot of times it actually misses the meaning. Now, don't sweat it if you use a different version. Don't sweat it if you walked in with a different version. It's just that when you see our verse sheets and you see why we teach out the King James Bible, this is a great example. Because this says, for the loss, but for, but loss for the excellency of the knowing of Christ Jesus. In the NIV, it says, surpassing worth of knowing surpassing worth of knowing. Now, that's understandable, I suppose, but it doesn't say what this is saying. Because when you go back to the original language and you look at that word knowledge, that word knowledge is not the accumulation of something. That that, that is is not something where it's like, well, I learned this. It's, It's this idea of the act of knowing. So then what would be the excellency of the act of knowing and by the way the new king james just says excellence of the knowledge okay well what this is saying is is it's saying that what paul is saying is i didn't just find a better way I i didn't just find a new knowledge i didn't just gain some new bit of information what he's saying is i came to a conclusion and when you use the word excellency what it means is is this is the best conclusion There is no other conclusion to come to other than I need to set aside self to win Christ. And knowing him and the act of knowing him is how I do that. If you want to press towards the mark, God's purpose, his calling, his invitation, it will require you, hear me, it will require you to suffer a loss of your will in some form, always. Been there, still doing that. That's how God works. Paul gave up. What was it that he lost through the hardship, and what was the hardship? You know what's hard sometimes? Learning in life, especially when God is speaking into your life, learning that some of your conclusions were wrong. That's hard. And Paul wasn't just wrong in a sinful way. Paul was wrong in a religious way but he had it wrong. His confidence was in the wrong things. Paul gave up all the prior things his confidence had once been in to win Christ. Now, can I say, sadly, many Christians have an impressive column career-wise. It's all up and to the right. I mean, it's looking great. But in the winning Christ sector, I fear a lot of believers Maybe not so much doing so well. You see, winning Christ means to gain Christ. And Paul's going to explain this to us. It all began by choosing Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. Look at verse 9. See, he found true righteousness in Christ alone. Look at us. He said, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by faith. He made it super clear. My righteousness, man, I was nailing it. I had the law down pat. I was so uh, 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 vigorous. I was so zealous about the law. I was persecuting Christians because they believed in this crazy Jesus. And now what he's saying is, is I have found out that it has nothing to do with my own righteousness, but it is through the faith of Christ, and it's the righteousness which is of God. And how do you access Paul? How do you access that faith that that righteousness? He said, by faith. Man, what a wonderful joy. That changes everything. It changes everything. So no longer was Paul's previous assessment of himself, of himself or God's desires accurate. A luxury watch appraiser made a major error a couple of years ago. In 2021, an original Omega Speedmaster, I don't know what that is, but it must be an expensive watch, uh, sold uh, uh, from 1957, sold for a record $3.4 million at an auction. Man, that's telling time and style, brother. Okay. Well, it was then revealed about a year later that it was a total fake. Omega, uh, the, the watch manufacturer that would know this, I suppose, claims that three former employees took parts and pieces from vintage, uh, vintage timepieces and pieced it together and fooled the appraiser. I don't know who that appraiser was. The article didn't list his name, but I'm guessing he's looking for a different job. Only an accurate assessment of my capabilities and God's desires will lead to the best goals in life. And I will tell you that not because I have figured that out and mastered that, I will just tell you that I know in real life that is how God works. You have got to see what he sees in order to set the goals that he wants you to set and come up with the purpose that he wants to take you down. What I do want to make clear is this. I am not saying to this church that when you get saved, you just choose a new set of accomplishments. Will you have a new set of accomplishments as you follow the Lord? You absolutely will. But that is not the first and foremost goal. It is God accomplishing his will with my life within his transformation of my life. That's what Paul is saying. Here comes the process. He's going to explain it. Remember in verse 9, he said, Stand in his righteousness by faith. That's the key. That's the key. When you enter into this Christian life and you say, Okay, how does this all work? What's this? Uh, is this just some new religion? It absolutely is not. Is this, is, is this some new set of checklists, uh, but just someone else's checklist? It absolutely is not. This is very, very different. Look at verse 10 in Philippians chapter 3 of our text. He says that I may know him. Now, remember, he just said, by faith, I stand in his righteousness. That's my new position. It was no longer my righteousness by keeping the law. I stand in his righteousness that I may know him. Now, that word know is gnosko. And normally when I'm preaching, I find very little need to tell you what the Greek word is. It's just not that important. All right. But in this case, it's important for you to know what no means and i 'll come back to that, so that I may know him we 're going to look at that word, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So we got to break this down because if you don't know what these terms are you're not going to get the process that he's describing. First of all, know him. What does it mean? Okay? The word know him here is not an accumulation of knowledge. It is a close relationship. Let me give you a couple of verses so you know you don't have to turn there, and it's not in your verse sheet, but in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by the way, here's a tip. If anyone ever comes to you and says, well, if you're not serving Christ, you can't be saved. If you're saved, you will automatically serve. Sometimes they will use this verse, and here's how you can answer them. So make a note and just go at it, all right? 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says that if we know him, we we'll keep his, Those that know him will keep his commandments. That word know is also the same Greek word ginosko. And it does not mean know him like do you know him? Have you heard about him? Are you aware of him? It's the same Greek word that means a close relationship with him. How will I know if you have a close relationship with the Lord? This is not a verse in First John saying how will I know if you're saved? The only way a person knows they're saved is because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. That's the gospel. By faith, you have been saved, right? This is saying, how will I know if you have a close relationship with him? Well, those are the people that are walking in his ways. Pretty simple, pretty simple, okay? But now I want you to look at Hebrews 3 because this is just powerful. Hebrews 3, if the author was Paul, I, I tend to think it was, but whoever the author was, he makes the statement And look at verse 10. It says, wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. Now, the person that is saying they were grieved, here, the author is describing the Holy Spirit, God speaking through the Holy Spirit, was grieved with that generation. Who's that generation? This is that generation of Israel that came out of Egypt, came across the parting of the Red Sea, they were fed manna, they had all these blessings and look what happened. They do always err in their heart. And they have not known. There's that word again, gnosko. They have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Uh oh. If you don't know God's ways, if you're not, if you're not in a close relationship with God, you don't get heaven. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. In the Old Testament, there was a group of people that left Egypt but did not enter into the promised land. They will be in heaven. They are in heaven. Those that, that that believe. But But the thing is, there are Christians who get saved from Egypt. They get saved from their sin, but they never find the promised land and the Christian life. They never find that rest. It's the same idea. So my challenge to you this morning is wouldn't you want to know, and I don't mean an accumulation of knowledge, wouldn't you want a close relationship with the one who said, Paul, I will take your sin upon me so you can have eternal life. Wouldn't you want to have a relationship with that person? Wouldn't you want to know, why did he do that for me? Why did he do that for the whole world? Why did he send his son to die for people that would even reject him? I don't know about you, but if I'm picking up right on what Paul is saying, he's saying, I want a close relationship with the God that did that for me. And what he found out was, is that that's where his purpose in life really was he also said this in that verse secondly he said the power of his resurrection he said i want to know him but then he also said the power of his resurrection well we know that christ rose again we celebrate that on easter right but i'm saved i'm a born-again believer i trusted christ as my savior i'm going to heaven but i'm still here So what does the power of the resurrection have anything to do with my life right now? Well, it's a key to realizing the power and finding your purpose. Number one, spiritually speaking, the resurrection places me positionally in Christ. My eternity in heaven is secure. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it is nothing you could do to earn it. There's nothing you could do to keep it. It's by the grace of God in every direction. But earthly speaking, the resurrection provides new life experience when I allow God to bring new life into the dead areas of me. And I got a lot of those areas that he's working on. But I know this, I know this, resurrection power, resurrection power is not just on Easter. It's every day for the believer. It takes me submitting to his will his invite, his calling to his mark, his purpose, his direction. And when I do that, I try to do that every day. I fail every day as well. But boy, there's a whole lot of dead Paul that needs to be replaced with with, with new life. And someday in heaven, it's gonna be 100%. Man, I can't wait till that day. Here's the thing. Only you... Can do the dying to self. God doesn't force that on believers. You're a child of God, you wake up every day, you set your goals, you, you, you determine what your priorities are in life. Dying to self means there's going to be times where God pricks through the Holy Spirit, the teaching of God's word. You're willing to let that go? You're willing to make a change? Might not even be sin. Paul said that we have to actually be careful because there's weights. That weigh us down in the Christian race, and they're not even sin. They're just it's just stuff that weighs us down. You willing to set it aside? Paul was. Paul said it was hard, it was really hard, because those were all the things that he had confidence in. But he found out to win Christ, way better. Way better. He also then said this: the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, this is the part I wish that it wasn't here the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul knew what this meant quite well. You see, there are hardships that we're going to face when we submit to his will, when we submit to the truth of his word. Sometimes these are external pain. Sometimes these are internal pain. Many of you know the story of my son Josh and the health challenges that he has had over the last two and a half years. Now, see, I'm a pastor, so... I know all the right thoughts to think. I know all the right verses because I've been telling them to many of you for many years. But to watch your son who is young and healthy go to the point where he can't leave the house, and can't drive a car, can't hardly do anything, is really, really hard. But like I said, I was, I was holding it together. I was doing pretty good. I said, Lord, we trust you. We, we, we know you're going to give answers. If this is what it's going to be the rest of his life, so be it. We're going to trust you. Like I said, I, I was pretty sure I knew all the words to say. And then along came the time for the Christmas pageant. Josh had been handling most of all the marketing uh, within graphic design and then marketing here in our ministries. And right about the time when we needed Josh to be at his absolute best, because we were going to relaunch the Christmas pageant and hadn't done it for a couple of years because of COVID, Josh got worse, like really bad worse. And so I remember driving home one day from work and we had discussed what we were going to do to promote the pageant. And by the way, I just thought it was good for me to remind the Lord that this pageant was about souls, And so I thought, well, Lord, surely this doesn't make sense. That that my son Josh wouldn't be at his best when we need him at his best, when souls are at stake. My happiness at stake, okay, Lord, I'm a pastor, I know better, that's yours. But now we're talking about souls. And thankfully, nobody else was in my car as I was having this conversation because it wasn't pleasant. And there were a lot of tears. And I said, Lord... This doesn't seem right. I still trust you, but I'm not getting this. Most of you are aware that we send out mailings and we do social media posts and we do lots of things to get ready for the pageant. Every time we have ever done a pageant, and I've been involved in pretty much all of them through all the years, it is a struggle. It is a battle it is a daily prayer to, to, to get people to the seats in large number for all the number of shows. So what happened? You know the story. We sold out so fast that the mailing that we had printed, the postcard that we had printed to send out didn't even get to the people's homes before it was sold out. We still sent the mailing just to say like, Merry Christmas, we're Quentin Road Baptist Church, hope you come sometime. (laughs) But when you call, there's no tickets. And then I had another car ride home with the Lord where I said, Lord, how about that? You don't need me. You don't need Josh. But what you are doing is you're working on me and you're working on Josh. This is what Paul is talking about. There is suffering in the Christian life. Sometimes you'll find a purpose, sometimes you won't. But here's what I do know. You go through it right, and what I mean right is I don't mean you never doubt God. By the way, God knew I was doubting him before I had that conversation in the car. Okay? Let's just say it, right? But the truth is is this. What I knew was is God was working on me. If you want to win Christ you got to be willing to let God work on you and you got to be willing to go down the path that he invites you to. That's up to him. That's up to him. All of the sufferings of Christ, please hear this, all of the sufferings of Christ were the direct result of his obedience and declaration of truth as directed by the Father, including the cross. The suffering Christ did everything right yet suffered like no other suffering that's ever been known. Why? That was the plan of the Father. The purpose, the perfect purpose, the perfect plan. And I'm so glad he was willing to do it because now I have eternal life. And by the way, Josh is doing much better. He just returned two days ago from Mayo Clinic after being up there three weeks and he's in church here today. So, Josh, welcome back. Sometimes that suffering is of our own doing. Sometimes I've had people say, Pastor Paul, well, you don't know my past. You don't, you don't know what, what I've done to cause the life that I'm now stuck with. And my answer is, no, I don't. But God does. And his resurrection power is so powerful, it doesn't matter whether you caused it or he allowed it. He will bring new life into every dead area that you allow him in and submit to. Every time. Every time. The fourth thing then Paul said is this. He said, made conformable to his death. Now this is another one where we cringe. Because I I don't necessarily want to amen when Paul says, are you conformable to his death? All right? Here's what I do know. Obedience requires self-denial. No doubt about it. Obedience to Christ, following and taking up his invitation in life is going to require self-denial. Here's what I want you to know. Conformable in his death is living like the position you already possess in him. And what is that position? Sinless. Sinless. Oh, but it gets better. Not only if you're a born-again believer are you seen by God as sinless, you are declared by God to no longer be a slave to sin. That's huge. Because now I have the option of whether or not I yield to that old man or yield to the new man. Whether or not I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life and lead in my life. This is how we win Christ. This should be the goal of all believers. Look at Romans 6, 4, and 5. This is such a beautiful picture of this statement. Romans 6, 4, and 5, look at this. It says, therefore we, which by the way, the we here is anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're a born-again believer, this applies to you. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, what does it say? We'll go to heaven someday? That's not what it says. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's true. But that's not what Paul's getting hammering home here. This is the I'm stuck here on earth issue, right? He says, if you're saved, you were buried with him by baptism unto death, but like Christ was raised again, you, you are also raised again to what? Newness in life. That's here. That's now. That's Monday through Friday. That's no matter who your boss is. Okay. Don't say amen if I'm your boss. Okay. How does it work? Look at verse five. Does it get any better than this? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We will rise again someday. We will be in heaven with him someday. But the truth is we have this now. Fully, experientially, no. But can newness of life happen now? Absolutely it can. I can win Christ You can gain Christ in your everyday life. Oh, I want you to see this. Look at the last thing he said back in our passage of Philippians 3. He said this, that by any means, so now he brings it all together. Here's the punchline, you guys. By any means I might attain, which is to take hold of or grasp unto the resurrection of the dead. And there are people that falsely teach That this is Paul hoping he makes it to heaven. It is not. You say, well, what are all the verses? What's the argument for that, Paul? It's actually really, really simple. I would not call the power of resurrection a, I might make it. I'm sorry, that's not powerful to me. Powerful to me is, is you're secure in Christ. What is he saying then? How do I grasp? How do I get a hold of the resurrection of the dead? And sadly, I see a lot of Christians living like that's just a th- thing in the future. When it comes, it comes. And that's no way to live. That's no way to live. All right? Look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Not at the, I didn't already grasp this. Either were already perfect. But I follow after. If if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. People might ask you sometimes, if you go to church all the time, if you're here every time the doors are open, people might say, why are you so in a church? Here's your new answer. Because I want to gain Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the one that saved me. It's going to be hard. Yep. In that hardship, I'll get to know him more. You might have to lose confidence in things you once had confidence in. Yep, it's hard. Yep. But man, if I can win Christ. So what is Paul saying? He's not saying I've arrived. He's not saying, let me tell you how I have fully conquered this concept. What he's saying is, is every single day of my life, I do everything I possibly can to grasp a hold of the one who saved me so that I can understand why it is he saved me. Because I'm still here. I'm still here. I know he saved me for heaven. But Paul is saying to all believers, there's way more, way more in the Christian life than just where are you going when you die. And believe me, get that settled. If you don't have that settled, get it settled. But man, he's saying the same power that that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that saved my soul to being born again, it brings new life into every area that I surrender to Christ. I want to grab a hold of what he's done for me. This is what he's saying. This should be the goal and the purpose of God for every believer. And he invites us, that's that calling that he first talked about, to pursue this through his power and his plan. Don't do it with one, uh, with one but not the other. Do it according to his plan. Do it according to his power. In Ephesians 1.18, it gives us this amazing picture of this whole concept that Paul is talking about. He says this, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. There's that invitation again. It's his invitation to his will, his invitation to control your life, his invitation to say, let me take the reins. Let me take control. What does he say? The riches and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And by the way, he says it here again, what is that power that he's gonna lead you with? What is that power that he's gonna help you with through the invitation that you accept to do it his way, to follow his path? It's the same power, verse 20, that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him on his own right hand in the heavenly places. That's the same power. Paul said, that's what I want. My confidence is no longer in my education and in my standing and in my p- position and in my this and my that. I stand in Christ's righteousness and I live to gain him every day to know him better every day. Sometimes that enlightenment that we realize is God's invitation or calling or plan, it might be an unspeakable trial, it might be something that is just beyond anything you could maybe ever even share with someone. And I actually uh, know just even recently this week, we have a family that that, uh, in our church here that has has suffered a a dear loss of a loved one and and is going through a very difficult time. We laugh about the um, uh, concert at the Grace Conference with Rob Watkins uh, and the teapot song with Pastor Mark, and it's definitely something we will never forget. But what most of you don't know, I didn't know, is that Rob Watkins. We um, we got to go to lunch just before the conference, and I, I really didn't know him personally at all, and and uh, wanted to just kind of see like what was his background and 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 where had he been ministering. He's he's pastored churches and uh, just has dedicated his life to the Lord and um, been such a blessing. He does does kids camps all over the country and um and and shares the gospel. Um, and and did an amazing job with our summer program kids before the concert. But uh, what I found out um, was that um, his uh, son was serving in the uh, army in Iraq in 2005 and was killed. And the story, I'm giving you the short version. The story is that um, he was going out on a patrol. His commander asked him to fill his seat in the vehicle because he had other duties that day. And it was that seat that got hit the worst. And he was killed. And I thought to myself as Rob was sharing this, I'm like, okay, Lord, forgive me again for even thinking that I had any trials. But then Rob shared with me, he said that his son had been witnessing to that whole group, especially that commander, And it took, I think he said, two years, maybe even three years, that Commander and his whole family got saved. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the pain that Rob Watkins and his family feel with that loss is still there. But here's what I know. When you win Christ, there will be things in life that are literally beyond comprehension hard. But if you do it with the Lord and his power, according to his invitation, it will have purpose. And every time that happens, you get a little bit more of winning Christ. You get a little bit more of knowing what he's all about. Do you see how God has equipped you? Do you see where he wants to take you? Let's go back to that verse we started with and we'll wrap it up. Philippians three fourteen. So now you know what Paul meant when he said, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's pretty simple. The high calling is the invitation to the best destination. The word press there means to pursue or the goal with the goal of, of capturing. Don't be a waffling Christian. Don't be a waffling Christian. There's, there's Christians that struggle between their, their, their feelings and, 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 and I wonder if God wants this and God wants that. Uh, that. That's not pressing towards the mark. Press towards the mark. Press towards the mark. There was a Olympic athlete, Beth Ann DeSantis, and in 1991, she was attempting to qualify for the Olympics in the marathon. So, the standard was she had to complete the marathon 26.2 miles in less than two hours and 45 minutes. That's how you qualify. Yeah, think about that for a second. She started out strong, but began to have trouble around mile 23. She reached the final straightaway at two hours and 43 minutes, but 200 yards from the finish line, she stumbled and fell. She was dazed and stayed down for about 20 seconds. The crowd began to chant, get up, get up. She staggered to her feet and began to walk, but then five yards short of the finish line, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again and began to crawl. The crowd cheered her on again. She crawled across the finish line on her hands and knees, and her time was two hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. Here's my point. Pressing towards the mark is not always sprinting. You might be crawling on your hands and knees right now. It's okay. You might be limping along, barely moving. It's okay. Keep going. Keep going towards the mark and do it the way God has invited you to do it. It will require the loss of your will and some previous conclusions. It will. Can I tell you what I've learned? Here's what I've learned. Don't modify the ways of God. Don't modify the ways of God. He does not need our add-ons. He just doesn't. You'd think we'd figure that out by now, right? Here's what I also want to make clear before we close. Winning Christ does not mean never messing up or never making mistakes. That is not true. Paul sat in a prison writing this letter with the clear memory of knowing that he, earlier in life, had been killing and putting Christians behind bars. Winning Christ does not mean never messing up or making mistakes. There's a huge difference between failing while trusting versus failing to trust. Just keep trusting. Secondly, I want to remind you, it will require some suffering, but that's where the resurrection power comes in. The prize, the reward, it's experienced here and now and for all eternity. I have been watching people here at Quentin Road Winning Christ at an amazing level. Through pain, through suffering, through unknowns, through health issues, through, through just stuff that you could never imagine. And I am so encouraged. You are winning Christ. If this is a new concept to you, get a part of this church. Learn from these people Learn how to win Christ together. You say, well, how are they doing it? By submitting in belief to God's will and God's word. And here's the thing. This kind of belief is not a sitting belief. It's a doing belief. I'll end with this. And this is from my personal experience. Winning Christ is doing life as if everything is under control and going according to plan, when in fact, at times, it is very much on human terms, not at all. But in God's eyes, it is. Because I learned that even when it's out of control, and it doesn't make sense, and it's super, 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 super hard, and I cannot figure it out, I am still in a place where I get to win Christ and gain who he is, and gain the one who saved me. If you have not been born again, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to read this verse. It tells us that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. His only son he gave, for what purpose? So that whoever would believe in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. And then these verses tell us very clearly how it happens. It's by God's grace. In other words, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, neither did I. Well, then how'd you get it, Pastor Paul? Look what it says. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should let me, let me illustrate it this way let my wallet represent sin let this represent you and me we all have sin we're all born with sin but there's no argument there's no debate right but what these verses said is that Jesus who knew no sin was sent by the father to take on my sin and pay for them in full complete he said it's finished and so then how do I receive that gift how do I get eternal life I recognize that he did the payment for me So now I can be sinless. It's by belief. It's by trust. That's the starting point. That's what Paul said. I have his righteousness. I realized that even though I could keep the law as good as I could, that my own righteousness wasn't enough. I needed the one who came and died. That's what I needed.